You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. All right. Well, guys, my name is Ethan. I'm the family pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. We're in a series called Gen Z. This is the final message in this series, so I'm happy to be here with you for this message today. Um, a lot of you know, I have, I've got three daughters. My daughters are Millie, Clara, and Margaret. <clears throat> Here's a picture of them. This is a uh, from back when we did the father-daughter dance here at Seabreeze, so a little bit of an old picture from February, but uh, these, are, these are my girls. When each of these girls was born, I actually had a very similar experience, um, I, and I recall the experience very, very well. There was a, when they were born in the hospital, there was just this sense of wonder. Um, if you're a dad, you've had the privilege of holding a, a little girl in the hospital, you, you, you understand this. As I held each of them for the first time, I had very, very similar thoughts. Uh, there were thoughts of devotion to these little girls, uh, thoughts of the, the weight, this heavy weight of responsibility that I had just inherited for the first time, and then, of course, thoughts of protection. I'm going to protect these, these, little, these little creatures that God has given me. I'm devoted to, to protecting them. Uh, so I have very similar for all three girls, but between daughters two and three, uh, between Clara and Margaret, my son Richard was born. Leading up to Richard's birth, I uh, expected it to be a very similar experience to the two girls before him. And so what that meant, though, is that I was completely caught off guard. I was completely surprised by what I actually experienced when Richard was born. It was very, it was very different. The sense of wonder was still there. That was very present. But instead of having thoughts of protection and of devotion, I was really just overwhelmed with thoughts about generations. So let me, let me explain what I mean by that. There was something about holding this this miniature version of myself, this little guy. And I could, I could identify with this little guy in a, in a, in a different way. There's something about holding him. It made, me impo- it made it impossible for me not to wonder if this little guy was going to be sometime down the road in a hospital holding his own kids one day. So I was thinking about that. And then my mind just kept running back to my dad, actually. I was thinking about my dad. Here's a picture of my, my dad and my son. These are this is Richard Andrew Johnstone and Richard Andrew Johnstone, uh, <laughs> my, my, my dad and my son. Sometimes I, uh, my dad will come, and, or I'll, I'll see my son's name for something at Seabreeze, and I think, why, why is my dad coming to Seabreeze? Um, <laughs> nope, that's my son. Um, <clears throat> in that first hour of little Richard Andrew Johnstone's life, I kept thinking about my dad, Richard Andrew Johnstone. I kept thinking about what that must have been like for him when he was 26 years old, and he was holding me in the hospital. Uh, all of a sudden, I saw myself not just as a guy, but I saw myself as a small piece of some bigger picture, something bigger that, that God had started before me and that he was going to continue long after me. Uh, now, I'm not saying, don't hear me say that my life lacked meaning, and then with the birth of Richard, all of a sudden I found meaning and, and purpose in my life. That would be a lot of pressure on the little guy. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's not at all what I'm saying, but I do think that God used that unique moment in my life to allow me to see more clearly and more, more accurately this bigger generational picture that each and every one of us gets to be a part of. I want to read for you out of Psalm 78. Here's what we read in Psalm 78. It says, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. In other words, we're going we're gonna to pass this on to the next generation. His power, the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children not yet born, 
and they in turn would tell their children. Now, according to the Bible, we exist on this earth to worship God, to tell others about him, and then to pass this mission on to the next generation. And this is not just something, some mission for for those who are parents. This is the privilege of every one of us. Every individual gets to participate in passing on the worship of God and the mission of God to the next generation. And this is one of the things that gives our lives meaning. It gives our lives significance. Uh, We all know this. We don't like to talk about it, but our time on earth, it's really just a blip on the radar. It's a very brief thing, and our impact is going to be measured not just by what we do with our blip, it's going to be measured also by the wake that we send out into the future. And so, so who are these people? Who are these people who are going to carry the worship of God, who are going to carry the mission of God out into the future? Well, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you've, we've been talking about Gen Z. We've been talking about Generation Z. This is the final message in the Gen Z series. So we've learned a lot about Gen Z and who they are. I'm just going to do a really quick recap on who Gen Z is. So here's a a quick overview. Gen Z is those who are ages 10 to 25 right now, 10 to 25. Uh, For me, a helpful way of thinking of this is Gen Z is currently in junior high, high school, college, and grad school. So that's kind of the ages that Gen Z is at, which if you think about it, that means that pretty soon you might be having a doctor out of this generation. You could go to the hospital and your doctor will be from Gen Z relatively soon. Uh, It's also, this is a very large generation. They're larger than millennials, my generation. They're even larger than baby boomers. So this is a very big generation. This is a post-Christian generation. Gen Z is the first post-Christian generation in U.S. history. Their parents kind of walked away from the church. Their parents started in the church, backed away from the church. Gen Z is different in that Gen Z never showed up. They didn't show up. They didn't, they weren't The church is not a part of their history. It's not really a thing for them. Uh, Gen Z has come of age in the digital age. So one thing I think is really interesting is that if you are in Gen Z, then you are roughly the same age as either an iPod, an iPhone, or an iPad. So an an iPod is 21 years old, uh, an iPhone is 15 years old, and then the iPad is 11 years old. So if you are in Gen Z, you're within a few years of one of these devices, uh, which is a great way to kind of mark that, and it's a meaningful mark of that generation. So that's just kind of a quick snapshot of Gen Z, but before we move on, before we get into uh, the the passage that we're going to look at today, I want to introduce to you another group. Uh, This is a big group. This is Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but Gen Alpha is coming down the pike. Uh, Gen Alpha is the designation for the generation right behind Gen Z. So it's those who are born from 2012 2026, so some off into the future. Here's a quick overview of Gen Alpha. Much of what we know about Gen Alpha is still kind of speculation at this point because of how young they are, but here's, here's just kind of a little overview. So when you're thinking Gen Alpha, think those who are under 10, under 10 years old. So if Gen Z is in junior high, high school, college, and grad school, then Gen Alpha is in elementary school and in car seats. It's a helpful way to think of it. And then some of them aren't yet born, so you could also say that some of them are still in theory. So that's our, that's our Gen Alpha. Um, they're on course to actually pass, surpass uh, Gen Z as the largest generation. This will be the largest generation in the history of the world. We're looking at having 2 billion in Gen Alpha by the year 2025. Very large generation. Uh, this is also a post-Christian generation. But if Gen Z kind of marks the beginning 
of post-Christian generations in the United States, then Gen Alpha is the cementing of post-Christian generations in the United States. The reason is that their parents, my generation, millennials, really for the most part are not interested in bringing them back to the church. We're not interested in connecting them with God, connecting them with Jesus. And so this is really the cementing of post-Christian generations in our country. This is also the most tech-savvy generation ever. So unlike Gen Z, they're all younger than the iPad. They're all younger than the iPhone. And so one of the things that means is that many of them have their own entertainment devices from preschool age. So looking back, this generation, many of them are never going to know a time, not just when there wasn't an iPad or an iPhone or, some, or the internet in their house, they're going to look back and they're not going to remember a time when they didn't own their own personal device. So that's a big mark. That's a big mark on this generation. So let's just a quick flyover of the two youngest generations. And these two, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, these are the ones, these are the ones that we're relying on to carry the worship of God and the good news of Jesus, carry the gospel out into the future. So our collective job as a church, as parents, is to equip them and send them out into the future to make an impact. So how do we do that? That is a big task. How do we go about doing that? Well, there was a time when Jesus was actually sending out his disciples. He was sending them out on a mission, and he gave them some instructions for what he was going to do, for what he was sending them out to do. And these instructions, they're recorded for us in the book of Matthew. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at just a portion, just one verse of this larger group of instructions that Jesus gave his disciples. We're going to look at these sending instructions, and we're going to ask ourselves, one, what do we need to learn from them for ourselves? What do we need to know for ourselves? But we're also going to ask, from Jesus' sending instructions to his disciples, what do we learn about sending out the next generations? So here's what Jesus said. We're looking at Matthew 10, verse 16. He said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So this is interesting. We've got these two sets of animals that Jesus gives. One set, the sheep and the wolves set. This gives us our sending context. This is the context that Jesus is sending his disciples out into, described by these two animals. The other set, we've got snakes and doves. And this gives us some sending goals. He's telling them some things that they are to be as they go out, as they're sent, they're to be like these two things. So we're going to look at these two sets this morning. I'm going to start off by looking at the sheep. Uh, a few weeks ago, I ran a trail race up in Big Bear. Those of you who, who know me a little bit, you know that's something I enjoy doing, getting out and doing trail races, that kind of thing. Uh, in the starting area before this race, I saw a guy wearing this shirt. And maybe this is something that you've seen before. Maybe you've seen this brand. I had never seen it before, but since then, in the past few weeks, I've kind of seen it pop up. So Maybe it's more of a thing than I actually thought it was. Um, but lions, not sheep. That's the, that's the brand. So I saw this guy, and it was in the starting area of this race. So I, mean, I, was, I was pumped for this race. I was excited. So when I saw the shirt, it was hard not to think, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm a lion. I'm, I'm bold and I'm fearless. Look out, world, I'm a lion. Very exciting. Um, <laughs> looking back on it, though, and thinking about it in relation to this passage, I actually realized this is the exact opposite of what Jesus is talking about. This is the very opposite. Um, like it or not, Jesus doesn't say, I'm sending you out like lions, go forth. Instead, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep. So what are we to learn from that? What are we to understand from Jesus comparing us, comparing his disciples to sheep? 
Uh, there are a lot of characteristics that could be drawn from a comparison to sheep, and frankly, none of them are very flattering characteristics. Uh, sheep, they're known for a lot of things. One thing they're known for is being dumb. They're also known for being mindless followers. So is that what Jesus is talking about? Is he sending us out as dumb, mindless followers? Well, I don't think so. In fact, that can't be the case because in the very next sentence, in the passage that we just read, he tells his disciples to be shrewd. He tells them to be wise. So he can't be telling them to go out as dumb, mindless followers. Instead, it seems that what Jesus is referencing is the vulnerability of sheep. Sheep are very vulnerable. Uh, Lions, and actually wolves for that matter, these are apex predators. They're at the top of the food chain. Lions, wolves, they're nobody's dinner, right? Um, they may have other things to worry about, but being eaten <laughs> is not one of them. Uh, sheep, however, they're about as vulnerable as it can be. They're at the very bottom of the food chain. They're so vulnerable that they actually have to outsource their protection. They have to get shepherds. <laughs> they have to get canines, sheepdogs, in order to protect them. Uh, that's how vulnerable sheep are. So sheep are vulnerable, and the truth is that we are all more sheep-like than we would like to admit. That's one of the things Jesus is pointing to. And so as he's sending his disciples out on mission, he doesn't want them to go out with an inflated sense of their own strength. We've all met that chihuahua that thinks it's a Rottweiler, right? <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. We, uh, growing up, we had a cocker spaniel that thought it was a pit bull. And it caused a lot of problems. That cocker spaniel would pick fights that it couldn't win. It had an inflated sense of its own strength. And so Jesus is saying, don't be that chihuahua. Don't be that cocker spaniel. That's going to cause you some problems. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 kind of echoes this thought. It says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The idea is that it's dangerous for you to think that you're stronger than you are. Understanding your vulnerability is necessar necessary for adequately addressing the dangers around you. But what exactly are those dangers? What are the dangers that Jesus is talking about? To answer that question, we actually need to look at the next animal on that list. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Our kids, they enjoy Aesop's fables. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those or if you introduce them to, to your kids, but that's just kind of, they're kind of fun, fun little moralistic stories that, um, that our kids will get into. They listen to them in the car. We read them to them. Uh, but it doesn't take long with those fables <laughs> to catch on to the patterns. And you don't have to be a genius to catch on to some of the patterns there. When you see a wolf show up in a fable, look out. You know something bad is coming. It's not, it's not a good thing if you see a wolf show up. In kids' stories, wolves, they're wily. They're violent. Think of Little Red, Little Red Riding Hood. Think of the big bad wolf. They consume. They take life. And then they feed on that for their own benefit. So this is the idea here that Jesus is communicating. He's saying, as I send you out into the world, you need to know that you're going out into a hostile context. Don't be deceived. You're going out into a hostile context. Now, to be clear, for you and I, Jesus isn't saying that every person that we meet is out to destroy us, is going to attempt to destroy us. We'd be walking away with the wrong idea if that's the idea that we got from this. Instead, Jesus wants us to know that the world's values are very different from God's values. And he wants us to be very clear. He wants us to understand that the world is willing to fight for its values. So the world may not hate you per se, but if you attach yourself to Jesus, if you begin to resemble him, and you begin to value the things that he values, then you're going to find yourself in opposition to the world in a way that you were not in opposition to the world prior to your attachment to Jesus. 
John 15, 18 says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. So he's saying, it's not about you. This is actually about me. It might seem like it's about you, but really this is about me. If you belong to the world, he says, it would love you as its own. So if you shared the world's values, if you were indistinguishable from the world, then why would it hate you? It wouldn't. It would love you as its own. But as it is, Jesus says, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. So it's our attachment to Jesus that puts us at odds with the world. And so the more we begin to resemble Jesus, the more we begin to value the things that he values, the more we find ourselves in this hostile context. But the reality is, and it's important for us to understand this, is that Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they're going to experience this in a way that you and I did not and have not had to. Uh, Older generations, we, and I say we, I'm putting myself in older generations because I'm older than Gen Z, Gen Alpha. So older generations, uh, we may or may not have been raised in in a Christian home. We may or may not have had church as a part of our upbringing but we were raised in a context that still had a very high regard for the things that are taught in the Bible. And that regard is fast diminishing. It's fading away. And so what does that mean then for these two generations, Z and Alpha? Well, for them, pressure to detach from Jesus, or at least to water him down to something meaningless enough to be palatable, is going to be very great. And it will continue to be great for those two generations. They'll find themselves in situations much like Jesus' disciples, much like most generations throughout history, where they really have two options. Their options will be to give in, just abandon the attachment to Jesus to escape that cultural pressure to do so, or two, suffer, continue to follow Jesus and endure the hardships that go with it. And when, when, when we consider that these are the two options to give in or suffer, now it starts to actually make a lot of sense why Jesus would call them sheep among wolves. And this being the case, sheep among wolves, you you would expect that Jesus would be instructing his disciples, the sheep, to just kind of hunker down, to to, to lie low, avoid the wolves, and focus on survival. That's what you would expect with those two descriptions in place. But it's important for us to realize, and it's a game changer, that that's not what he's doing. He's sending them. He says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, as, as a parent, as a church, there are very often times where it doesn't feel like the goal is sending. There are times where it feels like the goal is just all about surviving, helping that next generation survive, be in survival mode. Um, I recall in parenting, one of, our, one of our survival mode moments, or you could also probably call it one of our most pathetic parenting moments, uh, it took place when Andrea and I, we were both, we were both completely sick. We both had the flu and uh, we could barely get up off the couch. And then, of course, Richard was just learning to crawl at that time, right? And so it was, it was, it was not a great situation. We had, um, he just learned to crawl, and I remember watching him from the couch, seeing him crawl right toward the open door of the bathroom. And, uh, you know, kids love toilets, right? <laughs> so he was beelining it for the toilet. I just remember I couldn't even get up off the couch. I just said, Millie, she's our three-year-old at the time, Millie, go grab your brother's feet drag him out of the bathroom. Good job, Millie. Drag him out. Now close the door. So Millie dragged Richard across the house, and uh, we thanked Millie, and then we basically put our three-year-old in charge of the house for the next 48 hours. (laughs) 
You think I'm joking. <laughs> so yeah, there are times when raising the next generation, it really does seem like it's just all about survival, all about getting past another day. But that's not the higher goal. That's not the higher goal that Jesus has given us. As parents and as a church, we've been sent out into the world by Jesus, and he also expects us now to play the role of senders. In John 17, he said this in in a prayer for his disciples. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And then on another occasion, Jesus said just very simply to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So God the Father sent Jesus into the world. He, in turn, sent his disciples into the world. Those who believed through the disciples' message, they were sent also. Every generation for the past 2,000 years has been sent. And so now it's our turn. We've been sent, but we're also the senders. So how do we How do we prepare this next generation? How do we prepare the next generation to be sent out? Well, in addition to to the sending context that Jesus gives his disciples, he also gives them these sending goals, some things to be, some things to aim for as they're sent out. And so he says to them, therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So to the disciples, when they heard this, it would have been very clear, as clear as it is to us, that Jesus is giving them animals that are on opposite ends of the spectrum, two very different animals. Doves, these are about the least offensive creature that you can imagine, a dove. Snakes, on the other hand, are almost universally feared and universally hated. Uh, Ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes, it consistently ranks as one of the top phobias worldwide, regardless of the culture. But uh, columbophobia, which means fear of doves, is, as far as I can tell, not an actual thing. Um, (laughs) I had to make it up, and you're free to correct my Latin afterward. Uh, These these creatures are on very opposite ends of the spectrum, especially as they relate to humans. And so what does Jesus want us to learn? What does he want us to learn from this second set of animals? Let's look at that. We'll look at doves first. Um, So it's interesting here that Jesus uses the word innocent. He connects doves with innocence. Well, the first thing I think of when I hear the word innocent is I I just think of an infant, like we were talking about earlier, you know, holding that that newborn in the hospital or something like that. Along with that idea, it kind of seems to imply a naivety, innocence, naive or or inexperience. But I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about. It really doesn't seem to be. Instead, instead of thinking of innocence as naivety, we can actually think of it more literally. We can think of it as not guilty, innocence as not guilty. One who's innocent can't be charged with wrongdoing, or at least one who's innocent can't be accurately charged with wrongdoing. They're innocent. Um, someone innocence, innocence actually takes sin seriously. It's committed to obeying God, and it's committed to obeying God even under pressure, the type of pressure that these two generations are going to increasingly experience. And so why was this important? Why was this important for Jesus Uh, to to tell his disciples this on the eve of their being sent out. Why do they need to hear this? Well, as they're going out into the world, Jesus wants them to be very clear about where their loyalties lie. He wants them to know where their primary attachment is. And this is actually one of the reasons why we do things like the baptism that we're going to do later on this afternoon. Uh, Baptism, those who are baptized later on today, they're saying, yes, I, I am in the world. I'm in the world but my primary loyalties lie with Jesus. 
And this commitment clarity, it's so important. It's important because when temptations come, when pressure mounts, those who are sent out, they need to know who, in advance whose ways they're going to choose. God's ways, God's values. World's ways, world's values. If they don't, not only will it harm themselves, but it's going to neutralize the impact that they have on the world around them. And so in this way, innocence is actually really the opposite of naive. Instead of being oblivious to the dangers of sin, innocence is aware, and it takes it very seriously. So we're told, be innocent as doves. We're also told to be shrewd as snakes. And this is an interesting one, uh, shrewd as snakes. At first glance, this sounds like a very worldly thing, doesn't it? Be as shrewd as a snake. It kind of conjures up these images of the, the snake in the Garden of Eden that was tempting Adam and Eve. And shrewd, even in English, this is a very interesting word. It means to have sharp powers of judgment. Shrewdness implies awareness and implies discernment. To be shrewd, one must be able to accurately read the situation and then to respond accordingly. Must be able to accurately read a situation and then respond appropriately to that situation. So Jesus here, he's saying, don't be soft-headed. Don't check your brain at the door as I'm sending you out. He's saying, like a snake, actually understand your surroundings and take wise risks, not foolish ones. And this is a type of intelligence that can really only be gained through experience. And so this means that you don't develop shrewdness by backing away by stepping out of the world. You actually develop shrewdness by leaning into it. So Jesus knew that his disciples needed these two things, innocence and shrewdness, in order to make an impact in a hostile environment. And these are two things that the next generation needs from us as well. They need to be equipped in these two things. One of the problems, though, is that when it comes to equipping this next generation, we tend to emphasize one of these at the expense of the other. And it can go either way. It may be that we emphasize innocence at the expense of shrewdness. Uh, This occurs when we retreat, when we withdraw from the world, when, as a church, we kind of seclude ourselves, we draw back. Or as a family, we we, we build up barriers and we withdraw from the world. Uh, Often this is driven by fear. And I have to tell you, as a parent, I'm very sympathetic toward this tendency. The, the, the um, The same desire for protecting my kids that I mentioned at the beginning when, when I was holding my girls, uh, that same desire that, that I described earlier, it causes me to want to build this wall around them now. It causes me to want to just build a wall that can keep everything bad out of our home. Um, a problem with that, though, is that the goal is to raise them to be independent adults who can impact the world, who can be sent out. And without some exposure to the world, without some on-the-job training, these girls are going to be unprepared, and they're going to be in for a rude awakening when they finally do emerge from the walls of my home. So it's possible to emphasize innocence at the expense of shrewdness. It's also possible to emphasize shrewdness at the expense of innocence. Uh, The other day I had the experience that I think probably every parent has had where I had to jump into a pool to save one of my kids as she was kind of bobbing under. Uh, we're, we're teaching our kids how to swim. Everything was fine, by the way. Uh, teaching our kids how to swim, and she just kind of waded out a little too far. She had one of those pool noodles, and it got out of reach. She couldn't reach it, and so I had to <laughs> jump in and help her get back to a safe place, which is just kind of a part of the process of learning how to swim. And, and there's actually a lot of ways 
that you can teach a child how to swim. Uh, we're working on that right now with some of ours. But all of the ways that you can teach a child how to swim, they all involve starting off with very high levels of supervision. And then as the child gains competence, slowly that level of supervision is able to decrease over time. Uh, it would obviously be dangerous to say to one of my kids, hey, you know what, you've had one swimming lesson. The pool's in the backyard, why don't you just go work on it for a while? Uh, no, no parent would do that, right? Uh, but this is similar to what occurs if we emphasize shrewdness at the expense of innocence. It happens when we fail to provide adequate supervision or we fail to provide adequate guardrails for our children as they interact with the world. Uh, as, as family pastor here at Seabreeze, I see this show up in a good number of ways, but there are really two ways that kind of dominate, that came to sh seem to show up more than the others. Uh, one of those is with internet and media. That seems to show up a lot. As a parent, it's very easy to underestimate the damage that unaccountable internet access can have on a child. Uh, many godly parents are very caught off guard by this. They're caught off guard and unintentionally undermine the innocence that God has charged them to protect in their children. So internet and media is one area. Another area that I see a lot is with peer groups. It's also very easy to assume the best of our kids' friendships uh, and just kind of take a hands-off approach to their friendships and their, their relationships. In this way, a lot of harmful influences can kind of sneak in right under our noses. And on top of that, a lot of teachable moments can be missed. And so, so what do we do then? How do we, how do we avoid these two extremes? How do we avoid focusing just on innocence or, or just on shrewdness? Uh, we don't want to just cast our kids to the wolves, obviously, and we don't want them to be ignorant and unprepared for life to make an impact. A really helpful principle here is the idea of experience and explanation. Experience and explanation. Uh, this occurs when we offer our kids real-world experiences, but instead of just sending them off and saying, good luck out there, we help them interpret, we help them understand what they are experiencing. This is actually one of the core principles behind the Seabreeze student ministry. So if your kids are involved in the Seabreeze student ministry, or if you were to get them involved in the Seabreeze student ministry, this is the kind of thing that they're going to experience. They're, the student ministry is very intentional and deliberate to create experiences and then debrief those experiences, talk about them afterward, and help the, the students understand that. But it's important to notice that uh, Andrew, our student pastor, is not the one who invented this idea. Uh, this is actually what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. Jesus experienced the world with his disciples. They did things together, and then they talked about it. That's what Jesus did. In fact, much of the book of Matthew, the passage that we're looking at today is out of Matthew, much of this whole book is about Jesus doing things with his disciples and then debriefing those experiences. And then those debrief experiences are recorded for us in the book of Matthew. Even the passage we looked at today, Jesus, he's sending his disciples out but he's not sending them out forever. He's actually sending them out on a short-term trip. And when they got back, guess what they did? They talked about it. That's just what Jesus did. Uh, when I was 14 years old, there was a movie that I really wanted to go see. I wanted to go see a movie because my friends were going to see the movie. And my parents did the thing that every teenager hates. They decided to read a review about that movie before I went to go see it, which you have to understand was very cutting edge back then. Not a lot, of, they, my parents were on top of it. Um, so they read a review, and in the review they saw that the movie I wanted to go see contained female nudity. And so they said, you can't go. 
um, I was furious. I, I remember I just flipped out. I was so mad at them. Not because I so much wanted to go see that movie, but because I just, I was embarrassed. I wanted to be with my friends. I didn't want to be the guy who said I can't go because my mommy won't let me go. Uh, I remember telling my parents, oh, when that part comes, I'll just look away. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so today, actually, I really respect my parents for that decision. Uh, they decided that they would not knowingly send their 14-year-old son into something that would be a harmful situation. They wouldn't do that knowingly. They were not naive. They were not naive either about the things that I watched. They weren't in the dark about that. And they weren't naive about the damage that it could do to me. And so man, I tried to use my anger to punish them and make them pay for it. But they held their ground and they took a stand for my innocence. Now, around that same time, there was another movie that came out. It was uh, one of those war movies, one of the more realistic war movies that's, uh, that's been made in the past few decades. Um, my dad thought that it would be a good and sobering experience for me at the age that I was for him to take me to go see that movie. So he took me to go see it. And afterward, I just remember we talked about it briefly. He helped me understand what it is that I had seen, and that was it. Now, looking back at these two stories, I realized that, that they're small examples of the kind of thing that Jesus did with his disciples. Jesus, he would not lead his disciples into sin. Instead, they went out into the world together, and they understood the world, not on its terms, but on God's terms. But this job of experience and explanation, providing these experiences and explanation, it's really too big for parents to tackle alone. Parents need to do it, but it's too big for parents to tackle alone. Gen Alpha, the kids, even more so Gen Z, teenagers, they need a bigger team than just mom and dad to help facilitate these experiences and provide the explanation that goes with them. They need that if they're to become adults with shrewdness, with innocence, and ready to be sent out to make an impact on the world in the future. And so, God, in his wisdom, he gave us not just the family, he gave us also the church. He gave us these two institutions, and he gave them each a role to play. To the family, he assigned the primary role. To the church, he assigned a support role, a helping role. And so a good question for us to ask today as a church is how can we, how can Seabreeze partner to send a generation? There's a lot of things that we can do, but from where I sit as the family pastor here at Seabreeze, there are a few things that I see that different groups can do to help move this mission forward and equip this generation. So one thing for parents, for parents of Gen Alpha and Gen Z, you can partner by investing in the church. Uh, I have never heard a parent of a struggling child lament, I just wish that our family hadn't invested so deeply in the church. I've not heard that. I have heard the opposite of that. Uh, investing in the church, though, it always requires sacrifice, and it always requires saying no to other things. So it can be a difficult thing to do. But if you make the investment now, you're able to cash in on the greatest window of opportunity that you have with your children. So that's something you want to do now and not wait and do later and miss that window. Uh, for adults who aren't parents of these generations, I would ask you, please partner by befriending families. Please partner by befriending the families. Uh, this means inviting them into your lives and taking an interest in their lives. 
And you may already know families at Seabreeze, and it's just a matter of leaning into those relationships, those friendships. Or you might not. And in, in that case, you can take a formal step. You can do something like joining a growth group where you can get to know families that you can befriend and invest in. Uh, and as you befriend families, one thing to keep in mind is to not just befriend the parents, but also befriend the kids. And I have to tell you, um, sometimes I have no idea how to do this. <laughs> and I'm the family pastor here. Uh, sometimes I have no idea how to befriend kids, but I have learned a few things that have been helpful for me over the past several years. Uh, one thing is to learn their names and use their names. Learn their names and then actually actively use their names when you interact with them. And then two is to look them in the eye and treat them with respect. When you do those two things, I, I guess I actually gave you four things, didn't I? <laughs> so learn their names, use their names, look them in the eye, and treat them with respect. When you do those things, you're really building some foundations for friendship with the younger generations. And then for Gen Z, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Now, we started this series with Romans 1.16, and we're going to close it with the same verse. Let me read that for you. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, Gen Z, they're, for the most part, they're, they're in their own service right now in the student ministry. So I'm going to speak about them rather than to them. Um, but anyone who's in Gen Z, they're likely to experience more pressure to abandon the gospel, to be ashamed of the gospel than any of us have, any of us will. But as a church, I'm actually confident that I represent all of us when I say that we like Gen Z, <laughs> that we, we want to be on Gen Z's team, and we actually need to trust Gen Z. As Gen Z trusts God, we need to trust Gen Z to go out into the world and make an impact. And so what I'd like to do as we wrap up this series is I'd just like to pray for this generation, pray for Gen Z. And so I invite you, everyone in this room knows somebody in that generation, whether it's a grandkid, whether it's a child, whether it's someone else. And so I invite you just to think of someone who you know in that generation and just hold them in your mind as we pray for them. And let's pray together. God, we thank you that we get to be a part of a bigger picture. And um, God, right now, we pray for the part of the picture that is in one of the younger generations, God, in, in Gen Z. And God, we ask that um, they would rise up to face the challenges that are before them, God. I pray that as they have additional pressure to abandon you and abandon the gospel, that what would actually result is that they would be stronger for that, uh, that they would have a greater commitment and that uh, they would boldly go out into the world to make an impact, God. And we thank you, God, that we get to be a part of just the worship that existed way before us, and we pray that you would use them to be a part of the worship of you that will exist long, long after us and long after them, God. Um, God, we pray for their protection, just as Jesus prayed for the protection of his disciples as he sent them out into the world. We pray for the protection of Gen Z, but God, we pray that they wouldn't just be safe. We pray that they would also be difference makers for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.